0: Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. We're going to continue in the book of Philippians this morning. And uh, I I wanted to remind you where we left off uh, last week was Paul saying to the church in Corinth, Uh, have this mind uh, among yourselves. That I want you to have the same mindset, all of you guys, uh, and here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to do. Um, I, I want you to not do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but consider others more important than yourself. And so, first thought might be, you know, impossible. Uh, how, how do you really do that? How, how do you do nothing out of selfishness and or, or conceit, um, or selfish ambition. And that Paul wanted us to understand that that's the call of the life that's filled with joy. That's the call of the life that that's, has unity, uh, where people live in community with each other. So Paul isn't gonna leave us there. This morning, we're going to the next part of chapter two, and we're gonna look at the example. Paul says, now I'm gonna show you I'm going to show you what this looks like. I'm going to show you how to do it, and I'm going to show you in the person of Jesus. So we're going to look this morning at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, and and I I want to say that this is one of the most important formative passages in my life, that if you were to ask me to give you the top three passages verses, passages in scripture that have, have shaped my heart and my mind and my life, uh, this would be one of them. So we're gonna read, beginning in verse five, chapter two of Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born and uh, Bible scholars believe that this was an early hymn uh, of the church, that this would be sung, this would be recited, uh, that, that uh, this would be uh, recognized regularly uh, in their local churches and in their uh, places of worship, in the homes that they worshiped in. So I want us to take a few minutes and allow this passage to form in us Uh, we're going to walk through it line by line and and see what it is that makes this so formative, see what it is that makes it so powerful in our lives with just the idea. And I'd like you to ask the Lord this morning to use this passage to be more perfectly formed in your heart. So let's just start with the very beginning. Uh, He's following up on uh, who Jesus is. He's following up on, on the call that we've been given to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but consider others greater than ourselves. And, and then he says, have this mind, have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, the, the, so this is, what do you do with that, right? Right? when somebody says, okay, I want you to have the mindset that Jesus had, he's your example, it's pretty tough to argue, no, I don't wanna have the mind of Christ, no, that's, no that, that isn't for me. How do you argue with that, right? And, and so Paul sets them up, he says, I want you to have the same mindset that Jesus had, I, I, he's your example. If you wanna know how to live that life without selfish ambition and conceit, if you wanna know how to put others before yourself, then look at Jesus, follow his example. So he said, have the same mindset that was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form, the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now I'm going to stop there again, because this idea that, that Jesus was in the very form of God that idea of being in the form of God, you could translate that being the very nature of God. In fact, that's what the NIV says that, that Christ was the very nature of God. It's also translated sometimes he was the very essence of God. That what Paul wants us to understand using this word, it's actually, the Greek word is morphe, that we get our, our word, you know, morph and metamorphosis and all of those, that it's a transformational word. That what Paul wants us to understand is that Jesus was God that Jesus was the very form of God, that Jesus was there, he was preexistent, that Jesus was part of creation, that he is part of the Trinity, that he is God. And everything that goes along with being God is in Jesus. And so he is the very nature, the very essence of God, and, and so we, he wants us to understand that, he wants to be really clear, because now, he, he's, going to, to, to now he's going to bring it home for us. Because he's going to say, even though he was God, even though he was the very nature, the very essence of God, he did not consider equality with God, that equality with God, that sameness, something to be grasped. It's a grasp is a really strong word. It's almost a violent seizure. It's almost it's to grab something, to seize something, to hold on to it tight, to take it for yourself. And he's saying that even though Jesus was the very essence of God, he did not consider that equality with God something to be seized onto, something to be held tightly. That that's that's not how he took it. He had a higher call. There was something else that Jesus thought of that was more important, that was more valuable at that morning than, at that moment than holding on to his equality with God. That's unbelievable. It's, I don't know how we get our head around that whole idea that here's the God of the universe and he's saying, I don't consider that enough to be grasped, but there's something more important. There's something of more value than I need to do. And so Paul goes on to say he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now there's three, (laughs) excuse me, there's three categories, there's three stages in in this passage. So the first stage that we have is found in verse verse six, that Jesus was the very form of God. Paul wants us to understand that. Jesus was the very form of God. The second stage um, that we're gonna look at right now is the humiliation and the obedience of Jesus and then finally, the, the third phase is the exaltation of Jesus. So we, we understand the very form, the very nature of God in Jesus. We understand the humility and the obedience of Jesus, and then the exaltation of Jesus. Uh, the earliest Christians understood, uh, the very first, the disciples, the earliest uh, followers of Jesus who were there when Jesus walked the earth, understood that the person that they had followed, the person that they had known in Jesus was more than they ever dreamed. He was more than they ever understood, that they saw his miracles, they, they were there at the crucifixion, the resurrection, they saw all of that, but suddenly they understand that Christ pre-existed history, he pre-existed creation, all of those things, that, that he's the God of the universe, that he's not just God, but he's, he is their God, he's their Lord, he's God who came to earth. What, what Bible scholars will call that is the incarnation, the infleshing of God, God becoming flesh on our sake. What we talk about is the difference of, between Christianity and every other world religion it is that religion is man reaching up for God, man reaching as high as he can, doing everything he can to try to reach God, but Christianity is God reaching down to man And the God of the universe poured himself into human form and he came and he walked among us and he showed us how to live. And so here's what it says. (coughs) Excuse me, it says, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be seized, but the passage says he emptied himself. Uh, That's sort of the theme of this passage. It's called the kenotic passage. Kenosis is the word for self-emptying. That he poured himself out is another way uh, of looking at it. Or again, the NIV says that he made himself nothing for our sake. So think about this just for a second. The God of the universe becoming man for our sake is is the equivalent of, us becoming nothing. That he became nothing for our sake. That he was found in human form in the likeness of men. And he became a servant. That, that the God, the very God of the universe, with all the majesty, the power, and the glory, He didn't consider that something to be grasped, but He emptied that. And and what we're beginning to understand is that the reason, the thing that was more important to Christ than His equality with God was us. It was you and was me, what He came to do. So He emptied Himself and became a servant. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now, the word servant's really important for us here because um, we have lots of different definitions of a servant. Um, You might think of Downton Abbey and the servants that live down below, uh, and, and that's one kind of a servant. But the kind of servant that's referred to here is a servant who is a slave for life, that you belong to your master and there's no seven years and then you're free. There's no buying you out and then you're free. There's no serving your time. You are a servant for life. You are a bond slave. You're a bond servant. That means you're a servant for life. So here's what Jesus did. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he became in human likeness and became a bond slave, a servant for life for us. He gave up everything. Think of the contrast between the very form, the very essence of God, and then becoming a slave. That's what Jesus did. And here's here's the thing that we need to somehow get our hearts and our minds around, is that he did it for us. He didn't do it to prove a point. He didn't do it just because he could, but he did it because he had a greater calling, a greater mission, a greater drive uh, than holding on to those things. He did it for our sake. He emptied himself of his glory You you know, the other thing that's really fascinating is that Paul doesn't talk a lot about what Jesus emptied himself of. So scholars over the centuries have tried to figure out, okay, what does that mean? What does this self-emptying look like? Um, what Did he empty himself of his glory? Did he give up certain rights? What, what, what is the self-emptying? What, what does that really mean? And I think it's really impactful that, that Paul doesn't tell us what that is, but he tells us rather what really matters isn't what Jesus gave up, isn't what Jesus emptied himself of, but what Jesus added on that he emptied himself so that he could add on human likeness, so that he could add on becoming a servant, becoming a slave. And we get this picture of Jesus who emptied himself so that he could add on being like us, so that he could add on experiencing all the things that we experience as people, as human beings. The, the pain, the tragedy, uh, the love, the work, just the life, that he added those things on for our sake so that we could see how life was to be lived. Well, he continues on. He says in verse eight, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, this is important for us because the Apostle Paul says that being found in human form being found as a person, he humbled himself and became obedient. Now, let's just talk about humility for a quick second, okay? I've shared with many of you before that we were talking about being humble one time and an older pastor years ago said, Larry, never pray, Lord, make me humble. (laughs) He said, always pray, Lord, humiliate me so I might be humble. That's a whole different deal, right? I mean, that I mean, that's kind of catches your breath. Okay, wait a minute, I'm not, I gotta think about that one. Do I, yeah, it's one thing to say, yeah, Lord, make me more humble. That's cool, right? Or, that sort of seems noble to me. The idea of saying, Lord, humiliate me so I might be humble, that scares me. That, that means being, that's potentially being embarrassed, right? I hate being embarrassed. I, why would I do that? And yet, here's what it says about Jesus that when Jesus was found in the likeness of men, when Jesus made himself a servant, he allowed himself to be humiliated because the mission that he had was so much greater. The God of the universe with all of his majesty and glory and power allowed himself to be humiliated. And then he became obedient to the point of death. That seems like enough, but Paul adds even death on the cross. And you know why he adds that? Because at that point in history, being crucified, dying on a cross, was the most humiliating, the most painful, uh, the worst form of torture that had ever been invented up to that point. He wants them to understand how serious Jesus was. He wants them to understand the lengths that Jesus went to show his love for us, to give us an opportunity at life. So he allowed himself to be humiliated for our sake. And he was obedient to the point of death. Remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and he said, Father, not my will be done, but your will? That's what we call obedience. That's saying that, you know, enduring enduring the separation from you, Father, and enduring the cross isn't my first choice, but this isn't about my first choice. This is about your first choice. This is about being obedient to you. And you see, we fight for our rights and we fight for what we want and we fight for what we think we deserve. And here is the God of the universe saying, I'm not gonna hold on. I'm not gonna seize those things. I'm gonna let all of this go for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the people, who need a savior i'm going to let this go i'm going to live my life with my hands open i'm going to be 'm going to allow myself to be humiliated and i'm going to be obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross and so we have this remarkable picture of Jesus. if you want to know who Jesus is, then you look at this and, and this the reason this is so impactful in, in my life is because and I hope it will be in yours, because I think about you know what 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 drives me so often is being appreciated, being recognized, um, sensing significance uh, in my life, having some authority and power. In my life, and, and and then when I read this, it feels so puny. It feels so silly. It's almost embarrassing that I would strive after those things. That that what I'm really called to strive for, and I would argue what real, where real joy comes in our lives is when we don't hold those things. We don't try to seize those things or grasp them, but we allow those to become the Lord's. We say, Lord, I give you whatever I have, if it's authority, if it's power, uh, if it's wealth, any of those things. Those are, belong to you. I, I want to to myself of those things that I think I deserve for your kingdom and for your sake so that you can be the Lord of my life. It changes everything for me personally. And I would hope that as we really look at it, it would change everything for us. And so we have this picture of Jesus who found in human likeness uh, in the form of man, became a servant, was humiliated, and obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross for us. Pretty remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, just breathe. I'll know you're awake. Um, pretty amazing. But he doesn't leave us there. The very next word is, you know, it's gotta be a word that you become familiar with in scripture, it's the great Therefore therefore, because of what Jesus did, because of how he lived, because of his humility, and because of his obedience, God did something. Uh, God did something so special, so powerful. Here, here's what it says, that, that therefore, God has highly exalted him. Do you see what, what Paul wants us to understand? That Jesus didn't need to exalt himself. Jesus didn't, a word exalt means to lift up to put up on a pedestal, to put high, that that Jesus didn't need to do that. He didn't need to grasp those things because when he was obedient, when he allowed himself to be humiliated, then God exalted him. God did that. God will do that in our lives as well. It's not our job to lift ourselves up, but if we allow God to work in our lives, he will take care of that. He will lift us up. And here's what God did in Jesus He lifted him up, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You know, until this point in history, um, Jesus was a pretty common name. Uh, it, 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 it's a it's a Greek uh, Aramaic that comes from the Old Testament. Joshua, uh, you know, we get Joshua, we get Jehovah, all those things out of it. It means uh, Jehovah saves, and um, but it was a really common name among people. There were lots of Jesuses. Uh, if you read the the scripture, you, you'll see, and there were even some some guys named Jesus that that claimed to be the Messiah before and all of those things. And, and so it was a pretty common name, but all of a sudden God exalted him and God put his name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, com- uh, every tongue proclaim that he is Lord. That God exalted, God changed that name for history. Exalted the name of Jesus. Jesus didn't do that for himself. God did that for him. You see, all of our effort to make a name for ourselves, all of our efforts to, to seek recognition, to, to get the, the recognition that we deserve, to, to get that recognition that we crave, God says, oh, if you'll let me, I'll do that for you. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, right? Right? If you're in Christ, and he's exalted to the highest place, where are you? Can you get any higher than that? So what do we have to prove, really? If we're in Christ, we experience that through him, because of him, in in our lives. You can't you can't make yourself any higher. The other thing that this passage says is that that no matter how high you get in life, he's higher. But no matter how low you go in life, he's been lower. He's experienced those, those things for our sake. That's what Paul wants us to understand about Jesus. He chose humility, he chose obedience for us. The church in Philippi was suffering. They were struggling. They were under some persecution themselves. And they needed to understand what Paul's trying to teach them. He wants them to live in unity. He wants them to live in fellowship. He tells them uh, how to do that. And then he says, And here's the example. Here's how it's done you look like Jesus, you follow Jesus. I love this, all right? Uh, I, that, here, here's something else that's been really formative in my life, that, that, that Paul doesn't just give them a bunch of rules and say, here, here's the 10 things I want you to do next week, and then come back and I'll give you 10 more, and, and if you really wanna be a good Christian, you, you know, you check these things off your list. Here's what he said, I want you, in humility and obedience, to follow Jesus, just, Follow his example. You know what that should do in our lives? It, it should probably drive us to go into the Gospels and just read about Jesus and, ev- and get everything that we can, learn everything that we possibly can learn about Jesus, to be reminded of how he lived, to be reminded of how he loved people, to be reminded about how he cared for people, all of those things so that we can just simply follow him It's not about me checking off anything on my list, it's about me learning what it means to follow Jesus and allowing him to be the one that exalts, allowing him to be the one that lifts up, that he changes everything for us. Paul wants us to understand that. He wants us to get that. You know, there's another great picture of this in uh, John 13, another story that you're really familiar with, but let me just read the first First verse of John 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I'm just gonna stop there for a second because this is setting up this story uh, in the upper room. It's Passover and and it's the night that Jesus is gonna be betrayed. And most of you are familiar with this story that, that Jesus plans this supper with his disciples. Because, but because they do it in secret, they, they, they have this room that they're going to for the meal. But when they get to the door, there's no servant there to wash their feet. That Usually that's the job for the youngest, the lowest of the slaves or the servants would be to, to wash their feet. Now you can understand um, the need for this, right? Um, they didn't have paved roads and they wore sandals and it's just gross, right? I mean, that's how you lived your life and so what's going on jesus it, what i love about this is how he sets it up it is it's that he knew that his time had come he knew it was his hour to depart and he's with his disciples that he loved and he loved them to the end he never stopped loving them he never gave up on them and they they didn't deserve that on this very night the disciples are competing and they're complaining, and they're trying to vie for position in his kingdom they want to know who's going to be the greatest when Jesus they're still expecting Jesus to throw out the Romans and establish his kingdom on earth and and all of these things to happen and they want to know who's going to be the vice president who's going to be the attorney general they're all vying for these positions they're they're all kind of trying to claw their way to the top they're still going for recognition they're still going for all of these things and Jesus comes into the room and he sees rather than this unified group of disciples rather than these followers that have been with him. And now he knows what's in front of him. He knows that he's going to be betrayed. He knows that he's going to be beaten. He knows that he's going to the cross. He knows all of these things are about to take place. And these 12 guys walk into the room, and in their pride and in their competition, nobody stops to wash their own feet. They just come and recline at the table like they're in charge of the world. And it says Jesus loved him to the very end. I don't know. I might have given serious thought to starting over at that point, right? Okay, God, these guys are knuckleheads. They don't get it, let's just clear the deck and start again, see if we can find 12 better guys. Isn't it awesome that he doesn't though because I wouldn't have made the cut either and he loves me. So what does Jesus do, if you know the story? He stops in the middle of dinner and he takes his robe and he tucks it up so he can move around freely. He gets the water basin and a towel and he goes around to each of the disciples and he washes their feet. Unbelievable. He doesn't scold them. Uh, He he, he doesn't yell at them. He doesn't give up on them. How does he respond to their arrogance? How does he respond to their pride? He washes their feet. It's, you know, we talk about Jesus so often, but one of the things we talk about is he turned the world upside down. You know, Jesus had the audacity to say, love your enemies. Okay, who does that? He, he said, if, if, somebody, if a soldier asks you to carry his stuff for a mile, carry it for two miles, go the extra distance. If somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. He kept giving us these things that, were king, that we call kingdom opposites. It's an opposite of how we live and how we think we should operate. That that's how Jesus lived. That's what he showed us. He taught us that. And then he gives us this picture in John 13 with his disciples as he washes their feet, their dirty, stinky feet. And then in verse 12, he says this. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. Good idea. You're right. For so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. All right. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. So maybe, maybe you read Philippians 2, 5 through 11 and you think, I don't know how, quite how to do that. How, how do I live a life that is emptying myself and take, you know, allowing myself to be humiliated for the sake of the gospel and, and be obedient to the point of death? How, how do I do that? So Jesus says, well, I, I'm, 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 I threw in another picture for you here. I'm giving you another example. Wash one another's feet. Follow my example. Again, it's not the list of do's and don'ts, but it's saying, follow me. And here's my example. I washed the feet of those disciples who in their disobedience and their arrogance were reclining at the table. I washed their feet. Now, follow my example. You should do as I have done to you. Verse 16 says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who, whom, um, the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. <laughs> oh, I had to throw that last line in there, right? Because now we know those things. And he said, well, yeah, it's, that's awesome. You, you know You get an A on the Bible quiz. You know those things. What really matters, are you doing those things? Are you doing that? Do do you wanna know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? That you know the truth and you do the truth. That you don't just know things about him, but you follow him, that you obey him. That, that you do it, and, and so he says, I want you to serve like that, that it's not about the other person. You know, Jesus didn't sort of rate the disciples on a one to ten scale. Uh, he didn't, wasn't giving out grades. He was simply saying, well, basically, you're all failing, but I love you, and I love you to the end, and I am going to wash your feet, not because of how great you are, but because of my nature, and, and here's the secret to it is that we serve people and we love people because it's our nature in Christ, not because they deserve it. If you're basing your service and you're basing your love on whether or not somebody deserves it, then you're missing the gift that the Lord has for you. You're missing the power in the moment that what he's called us to, what Christ has called us to, is to follow his example, not based on somebody deserving it, not based on what they do, but based on the character that we have in Christ, based on our humility and our obedience to him, we serve. And if we can begin to flip that around in our lives and begin to live that way, then we're following the example of Jesus, that we're living like Jesus and we look like Christ. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we ask that um, somehow, Lord, you would use this. That this would be the Jesus that gets formed in our lives. The, the Jesus who was willing to be humiliated for us. The, the, the Jesus who was obedient to the point of death on a cross. That, Lord, we would give you the privilege of lifting us up, that that's not our job, that's not our task, but that's what you do as we follow you, as we serve you, as we serve others, Lord. Give us the courage and humility to do what you did. Not just know what you did, not just read what you did, Lord, but to do what you've called us to do. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we give all these things to you in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. teaching a class for a local seminary and I had these um, students do interviews of people in leadership positions and one of the themes that keeps running through these interviews is that the hardest part of leadership is uh, when you know you're let down by people on your team or you're let down by people you trust or you really feel like you're friends and then you find out you're not and you know those kinds of themes that that go through and, and every time I was reading uh, something like that in a a paper I was putting down. Just read Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and uh, and then read John 13. In fact, I told one student, read it every day for a while. Read John 13 every day for a while. And be reminded that that our serving and our ministry isn't driven by the person that we're serving in ministering to, but it's driven by the character that Christ is growing in us, by our own humility and our own obedience. And and as we approach this week, my encouragement to you is not to base your response on whether or not that person deserves your love or your recognition or your care, but respond based on who Jesus is in your life and his example and your your humility and obedience to him. I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless you.